everyone, welcome to the 51st episode of our news podcast. This is going from July 9th to July 15th. This podcast, along with all of our other podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions LLC. Also, check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bolton from the Borderlands. That's a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyzeeducate, where you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyzeeducate. All your support really helps us out a lot. And let's head into the news. Okay, we'll start it off with the South Caucasus state organized Azerbaijani protesters and soldiers are still blockading the de facto ethnic Armenian Republic of Artsakh. The Lachkin Corridor, which connects Artsakh and Armenia, runs through Azerbaijani-controlled territory, as you all now know, and that is supposed to be kept open by Russian peacekeepers in the area who have so far failed to enforce the ceasefire provisions that ended the Second Karabakh War in 2020. The blockade of the corridor has led to food and medicine shortages in Artsakh, as well as at least one person dying due to not being able to travel to Armenia for a higher echelon of care. The blockade has gone on for seven months and it shows no sign of ending. At this point, Russian troops are being prevented from entering the region, as is the Red Cross. They are being prevented from entering as well. Right now, the only supplies that are getting through to the region are being flown in by Russian military helicopters, and they can't fly in a whole lot of supplies. Last week, the natural gas supply to Artsakh was resumed after months of being interrupted. However, it was interrupted again just hours later. Artsakh's natural gas supply lines run right through territory controlled by Azerbaijan. Gasoline shortages are rampant as well, leaving the region's streets nearly empty. Russian peacekeepers, again, are the only ones that were able to deliver fuel to Artsakh, you know, back when they were actually being let in through the blockade, but now they can't get through the blockade. Um, So, again, they could only fly in stuff via helicopter and they cannot bring a lot of supplies in. Food shortages, again, major issue. People are letting their pets roam the streets because they can't be fed. Sugar and sunflower oil is being rationed only to families that have children. The milk processing plant in the capital, Stepanakert, has been forced to shut down. Locals are relying on surrounding villages for dairy products. Restaurants have also been forced to close. Fruits, vegetables, and soap are very scarce. Some stores are being forced to close as well, or their shelves are left nearly empty. Weddings and other large celebrations are prohibited as well. Locals in the Martikert district are also reporting water shortages. Water levels in the Sarsang Reservoir have decreased significantly since the blockade began due to drought and high demand for hydroelectricity. Also in the capital, public transport has ceased on the weekends due to a lack of fuel again. On the weekdays, service will be limited to very specific times. Ceasefire violations were also up a lot in June. There were 28 reports of violations from all sides, including Russian forces. Seven of those reports were detailing the targeting of civilians. In May, there were only seven ceasefire violation reports, so obviously that's a pretty huge uptick. On July 7th, 
Artsakh authorities reported that Azerbaijani troops targeted civilians working in a field with 60 millimeter mortars. That is the first attack on civilians using mortars since the end of the war. No injuries were reported, thankfully. On the 12th, Azerbaijani troops violated the ceasefire again and wounded two Armenian soldiers outside the village of Teague. That village lies near the border, and the area near the village was seized by Azir troops in late March. That village is inside Armenian territory. On the 15th, Armenian Azerbaijan held another round of peace talks. Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan and Azerbaijani President Aliyev met in Brussels for EU-sponsored talks. The European Council President Charles Michel said that he plans to have the two countries meet again in Spain in October, along with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and French President Emmanuel Macron. So far, it doesn't appear that the talks have produced any results, though, and I can't imagine they will. Russia called for the two sides to organize a peace summit in Moscow. It also referred to the Lashkin blockade and saying that the region's ethnic Armenian population should not have their destiny decided by a third country. Azerbaijan in particular reacted angrily to this, accusing Russia of failing to fulfill its 2020 ceasefire obligations. That is fairly ironic, considering that Azerbaijan has broken the ceasefire agreement multiple times a month, each month, since the war ended three years ago. Azerbaijan also last week offered to provide humanitarian aid to the people of Artsakh. That is as well ironic, considering that they're the ones blockading the region in the first place. This is seen by outside observers as a means of trying to absorb the remainder of ethnic Armenian populated Nagorno-Karabakh. Moving on to Russia, I got an update on General Sergei Surovikin. He is the commander of the Russian Aerospace Forces. He has still not been publicly seen since the Wagner mutiny last month. Last episode, we spoke about him. We spoke about reports that he had been placed in custody in connection with the mutiny. Those reports are still unconfirmed. But recently, Russian lawmaker Andrei Kapartolov said that Surovikin was, quote, resting and not available right now. When he was asked where Surovikin was by a reporter, Karpatolov is very connected to the Ministry of Defense. He is the chairman of the State Dumas Defense Committee. He's also a military retiree. He retired as a colonel general, and he was a commander of the Western Military District from 2015 to 2016. So obviously a very connected individual. Moving on to the Indo-Pacific region, looking at Taiwan. July 15th marked the 36th anniversary of the end of martial law in the Republic of China, Taiwan. The island was under martial law from the de facto end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949 until 1987. The Kuomintang, otherwise known as the KMT, which is the side that lost to Mao's communist forces in the Civil War, fled to Taiwan, moving the Republic of China to the island in 1949. Once martial law was lifted in 1987, Taiwan began its transition to an actual democracy. To mark the occasion, President Tsai Ing-wen visited the former prison of the Ministry of National Defense in New Taipei City. That military prison was used by the ruling KMT government to house political prisoners, including ideological dissidents and supporters of democracy. The prison is one of Taiwan's 42 historical sites of injustice, which is a designation used to preserve Taiwan's history of atrocities and other abuses by the pro-democracy government. All right, moving on. China and the Solomon Islands have signed a new police cooperation deal as the two countries upgrade their relationship to a comprehensive strategic partnership. Not all of the details of the deal have been made public, 
but at the very least, it allows for Chinese police presence in the Solomons until 2025. The deal has led to concern from other nations, such as the U.S. and Australia, who have called for the full agreement to be released to increase transparency. This highlights the growing struggle for power and influence between China and the West in the Indo-Pacific region. As Alcon Intel points out, Pacific Island nations more aligned with China may seek to sign similar deals like that of the Solomons in the near future. Moving on to the Middle East, looking at Iraq, Iranian-backed Shia militias called for large demonstrations against the U.S. presence in Iraq to be held outside of the Baghdad embassy. More specifically, they called for Iraqis to impose a siege on the embassy on July 14th. This led to fears of a repeat attack on the U.S. embassy on New Year's Day 2020 when militiamen attempted to storm the embassy. This led to a cycle of escalation between the U.S. and Iran and its proxies in which the most notable event was a killing of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani by a U.S. drone strike outside of Baghdad. The embassy siege on the 14th was a complete non-event. Iraqi security forces stopped protesters from crossing the Tigris River to entering the Green Zone. In total, less than 200 protesters showed up, according to Tammuz Intel, who is a great indigenous source that could be found on Twitter. They were met by nearly 2,000 Iraqi security force personnel. The demonstration didn't last long, and the Green Zone was reopened later that day. So again, a complete non-event. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we're back with Africa looking at Sudan fighting between the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces, SAF and RSF, respectively, continued again this week. Multiple districts in the capital city, Khartoum, are still without running water and electricity and sometimes telecommunications as well. The small number of healthcare facilities that are still functioning suffer from a lack of fuel to run their generators of war so far forced. 3.1 million people from their homes, 700,000 of those have fled to other countries. Witnesses continue to report to the UN regarding war crimes carried out by the RSF, particularly against ethnic minorities. Many refugees have fled to neighboring Chad, leading the UAE to open up a field hospital on the border to provide aid to those refugees. The UN has warned that 10% of the children reaching Chad are malnourished. The UN has also warned that the country is on the brink of full-scale civil war. All international efforts to bring an end to the fighting have failed. Mobilization and recruitment has increased among tribes and ethnic minorities, again leading to fears of a wider conflict erupting. The Central Bank of Sudan has ordered the reopening of banks in areas not affected by active fighting. On July 9th, fighting renewed in the city of El Obeid between the RSF and SAF. Also on the 9th in the Blue Nile region, the Al-Hilu faction of the SPLM North, that's our rebel group we've talked about before, seized army garrisons in Rashad and 
Jubiha, given the number of blatant ceasefire violations by the rebel group, it now looks like a ceasefire is void and they're at war again with the government forces. On the 10th, the Al-Hilu faction again attacked the town of Kermuk near the border with Ethiopia. On the 13th, outside the city of Jenina, which is the capital of West Darfur State, a mass grave was found filled with at least 87 bodies. I know we've talked about that area before and some of the war crimes that have been committed there. They were reportedly killed by RSF troops in June. At least some of the bodies belong to the Masalit people, which may indicate ethnic motivations. We have previously reported on RSF war crimes against the Masalit around the city in previous news episodes. Locals claim that RSF troops forced them to bury the bodies between June 20th and 21st. This is the largest mass grave to have been found since the fighting began in mid-April. The RSF has denied responsibility. Also on the 13th, the foreign ministry denied the idea of deploying the East Africa standby force, a peacekeeping force in the general East Africa region. It looks like that is not on the table. Also, the SAF opened up new training camps in the states of River Nile and Kasala. And also on the 13th, artillery shelling from both sides in the city of Umdurman killed 34 civilians in the market area. And on the 15th, the health ministry said that a drone strike on a hospital by the RSF killed four civilians in Umdurman as well. Of course, the RSF denies that claim. Looking at Mali, the UN peacekeeping mission will soon be ending in the country after more than a decade. This comes after Mali's military junta ordered most foreign forces out of the nation. The junta has instead chosen to pivot to Russia for military support in fighting Islamist groups, particularly in the form of the Wagner Group. Given recent events in Russia involving the Wagner Group, it isn't clear if they are still operating in Africa. However, the UN mission MINUSMA composes of 12,000 troops and has been the deadliest UN peacekeeping mission in history. At least 187 UN troops have been killed over the past decade in Mali. According to the motion approved by the UN Security Council, the mission will officially end no later than December 31st, 2023. Mali will be left to rely solely on its own forces and Russians as it battles the Islamist groups that plague the country. According to the monitoring group, ACLED, over 1,500 people have been killed by insurgents in 682 incidents this year alone. Looking at the Americas, uh, Bulletin from the Borderlands just came out on the 15th, and the Americas specifically, we talked about uh, former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro being banned from office until 2030, and then we also looked at a Guatemala election update, some of the drama that was surrounding that. Uh, next, this is coming from South America News. Unitas 2023 began on July 12th. That is a multinational naval exercise aimed at improving ties and interoperability with allies in the Americas. This year, it is being hosted by the Colombian Navy. It includes 26 warships, three submarines, 25 aircraft, and over 7,000 troops from 20 countries. This includes the U.S., Canada, Chile, Belize, Mexico, South Korea, the UK, France, Germany, and other countries from Latin America and abroad, and of course, Colombia, since they're the ones that are hosting it. For the first time ever, the exercise is incorporating unmanned surface and subsurface vehicles. This exercise highlights the U.S. presence in the region as an influence war between it and China is underway in Latin America.
Moving on to Mexico, authorities are sounding the alarm about roadside bomb attacks against security forces in Jalisco. Governor Enrique Alfaro decried the attacks as terrorist attacks and blamed them on an unnamed drug cartel. One potential culprit is CJNG, that is also known as the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, which has been known to target government forces with IEDs and explosive-laden drones in the past. In the recent incident, an unknown caller alerted a volunteer search group to a hidden grave in Tlahumoco. Uh, eight IEDs were strategically placed along the road to the gravesite in an apparent trap. Seven of those IEDs detonated when a police convoy passed over them. Six officers were killed and another 12 were injured. Somehow none of the volunteer search party was injured. This led Governor Alfaro to temporarily suspend law enforcement escorts for volunteer search groups. Moving on to the U.S., we got a presidential race update looking at the polls. Again, these are all averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 40. His disapproval is at 54. That is unchanged from last week. Trump's favorability is at 40 as well, and his unfavorability at 56. That is, again, unchanged as well. Looking at the Democrat primary, uh, Biden is 54 to 57%. RFK Jr. is 14 to 17%. No update. And looking at the Republican primary, Trump is at 50. DeSantis is at 21. And Pence is third place at seven. Both Trump and DeSantis fell by two points. Pence rose by one. And moving on, on the 15th, Monica de Leon Barba was found safe in Mexico and has returned home to the U.S. to be reunited with her family. She was kidnapped by five men in Jalisco State, Mexico, while walking her dog in November 2022. No arrests have been made in connection with their kidnapping. The FBI and Mexican authorities are still investigating. If you want more details on her disappearance and other kidnappings of Americans in Mexico, you can read Bolton from the Borderlands. And moving on, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General David Berger, has retired. This leaves Assistant Commandant General Eric Smith as the Acting Commandant of the Marine Corps. I say Acting because General Smith has been nominated to become the Commandant, but he has not yet been confirmed by the Senate. This is the first time since 1910 that the service has been without a Senate-confirmed Commandant. The confirmation vote is being blocked by Senator Tommy Tuberville. A Republican from Alabama, the senator has been blocking more than 250 high-level military promotions in the Senate for four months now in protest of the DOD's abortion policy in the aftermath of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That policy states that the military will pay for travel and leave for service members if necessary to receive an abortion. For example, if a service member has to travel to another state to get an abortion due to different state laws. And that is all I have for you guys. So I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You can find this on your favorite apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on threads with the same handle. And you could also find us on Telegram at Analyze and Educate. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate or at ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash analyzeeducate. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to this podcast with. That helps us out a lot as well. And I will see you guys soon.